This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Arpon Wagre, Chief Executive of Wellbeing Trust at Providence. Arpon, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Now, I know I've got a lot to talk about. There's so much happening in such an important topic in thinking about well-being and mental health. But before we dive into my questions, can you tell a little bit more about yourself and your background? Uh, for sure. Um, so I'm a psychiatrist by training uh, and uh, have the privilege of serving as the chief executive officer for Providence's Wellbeing Trust. Uh, this is a foundation um, that started with an endowment by Providence and St. Joseph Health when they came together uh, to advance the mental, social, and spiritual health of, uh, for everyone. And, and this was started with a $100 million gift by the Sisters of, of, uh, of Providence and St. Joseph. And uh, we've been uh, working for five years, doing a lot of different things, and now uh, are diving in deeper into the communities of Providence across our seven state regions. So really excited to be here and talk about some of our work. Absolutely. Well, we're excited to have you. Now, what are the big trends that you're seeing in mental health today? What impact did the pandemic have on youth mental health? And could you just tell us a little bit more about that kind of work that you're doing? Uh, sure. Um, you know, focusing on youth, first of all, I mean, I think uh, it is it is really interesting, like even prior to the pandemic, uh, among the leading causes of disability and poor health outcomes for, for young people were mental health related issues. And so just to, you know, put that in context and try to think about that almost one, it was a survey or a study in 2019, where you had almost one in three high school students say that they felt persistently sad and hopeless. Uh, you know, what was also really uh, interesting to note was that the stigma was so prevalent that less than 50% of them actually sought any help or support. Um, and, and this has unfortunately only worsened uh, during the course of the pandemic, uh, especially for young people. I mean, we think about, um, social connection, we think about all the, you know, uh, social media and, and how people might be connected, but we actually find that the quality of, uh, of social uh, support systems for young people is not that great. And, and there is a high rate of loneliness among our children. So, you know, all this compounded with the stress, disruption, you know, uncertainty of the pandemic just had a very, very significant toll, particularly for our, our young, young people and almost you know, doubling the rates of depression and anxiety. So very concerning trends, trends that we you know, hope were not in going in this direction, but unfortunately things have only gotten harder. Um, but it's not all uh, gloomy. I think there are a lot of positive things. There's some silver lining uh, that have you know, come out through the pandemic and through this. And, and one that I would definitely call attention to is, um, the awareness uh, around around this crisis. So, you know, I would, from my perspective, one of the big turning points was when the United States Surgeon General uh, went ahead and issued an advisory on the youth mental health crisis. And this is a really big deal. You know, an advisory is something that's not given lightly. I mean, essentially, an, uh, an advisory by the Surgeon General um, is something that is, you know, calls attention of the American people to an urgent public health issue. You know, it's reserved for these very significant public health challenges that need the nation's 
immediate attention and awareness and action and uh, elevating uh, the youth mental health crisis and bringing that awareness as the Surgeon General did and many, many things that followed after that is hopefully gonna start us on a path that will um, make things better for our young people. Absolutely, that's great to hear and definitely important awareness, especially for the youth population. And you know, from your perspective, what are you seeing being done that has been helpful or, or really beneficial um, for mental health among the, especially youth population, but really you know, thinking community-wide, if there's anything um, that you want to share, I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because you know, to address uh, the issue of youth mental health, the crisis around youth mental health, um, it, we would be naive to think that it can be done in a particular silo or by any one of us. This is uh, a, an issue that needs to be addressed by, by all levels of the society. So there's individual and family level uh, support, there's community schools, uh, educators, health system, and, and government and the right policies and so on. So it, it, ta- it will take all of us coming together. But um, there, are, there are some really, uh, I mean, people have been working very hard uh, to address this even before the pandemic and before the advisory was issued. But I think now um, there are greater coalitions and there are ways in which we can see how things are actually working. So one example that, that I can give from my health system uh, is in, in the great state of Alaska, where we have a very significant presence. We're among the largest healthcare providers in the state of Alaska. And uh, we formed a, a coalition uh, with the Volunteers of America, Alaska chapter, the um, uh, Providence uh, Health System, of course, and, and the Anchorage School District to really think about, like, how do we all come together and create something that's meaningful for our children. And, and the fundamental guiding principle was that, you know, when we, when we change the life of a child, we change their entire life's trajectory. And when we do this for every child in need, we change the trajectory of the community. So how do we do this? And so what we got together and worked on was a, a three-tiered approach. So, um, you know, the first year was school-wide services, you know, essentially universal support to the students, family, staff, and really developing wellness practices, you know, promoting mental well-being. We do have um, a program that was started, a grassroots work actually by students uh, and educators called Work to Be Well. And so this really um, has curriculum around mental health, you know, democratizes knowledge so that the children can support their peers, educators can support them, and and it's, you know, really useful, helpful information for parents so that that tier one, which is more universal, uh, and, and health promotion and early you know, prevention. And then the tier two is is more around targeted services uh, for individuals who, who, you know, might need a little more connection and support, might be some help with some skill development and and managing um, stress. And and then then there's a tier three. We also recognize that there are some children, some of our children who might be in need of more intensive services. So, so, you know, this program is one example of a true uh, health system, community, school district coalition uh, that really has brought, you know, brought services to 13 schools uh, in Anchorage. And now we're, we're really working on trying to expand that through the entire state. Um, and there are other such examples as well. But I, 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 I hope I answered your question over there. 
Absolutely. That's amazing to hear. And um, definitely, you know, uh, great to know that there are some big efforts around those areas to really support youth mental health. Now, um, when you think about a health system's role in supporting the mental health of young people in their communities, what really should they be doing? How should they be thinking about, um, you know, the youth mental health crisis in, in making the biggest difference? Yeah, I mean, the health systems, like I said, we, we do have a, a critical role. So if I were to just take a step back and look at uh, one of the most fundamental things over here. So when children start experiencing symptoms uh, of mental illness uh, and the time, so the time from when children might start experiencing symptoms of mental illness and to the time they actually get clinical uh, help and support, there's almost 11 year lag. And just, you know, pause and think about that for a minute. For how many other health conditions would that even be considered acceptable? That, you know, you start having symptoms and by the time you actually get the support you need, is, there's 11 year gap. And imagine what all could have happened if we were able to intervene early, identify and support children earlier on. So I think the health system has a very, very important role in partnership with school districts uh, to really start um, proactively in the pediatric clinics, uh, screening every child um, as per the United States Preventive Task Force recommendations for, for depression and anxiety, and then supporting them with the tools and the help they need earlier on. Um, also, I would say that, you know, health systems, there's not, you know, every, every emergency department in the country today is almost is the last safety net for every community. And, and there's not an emergency department that I know of where we don't experience um, boarding for, for children in need of an acute psychiatric bed. And, and it's something that we deal with all the time. And yet we're, 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 chronically underprepared as a nation. And so I think there's there's that aspect of it. How do you support children in an acute crisis? How do we get them the care they need? And how do we ensure that, that we're connecting them upon discharge back to everything they need? So there's all of these components that the health system has to play a role in. But I would go back to, you know, the previous example that I gave with Alaska. You know, I think, you know, health systems we have to think about ourselves uh, as a part of the larger community coalition if we really want to do something that's that's meaningful for our kids. I mean, we need to be able to get in a meaningful partnership with the school district so that we're 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 really partnering with early screening intervention, not only in our clinics, but actually even in the schools and and supporting them and supporting children because a lot of kids who might need the help might not even make it to the health system and come here. I mean, they might just be in suffering in silence. So how do we lean in? So I would see the health system role as as you know two parts of it. Of course, being um, preparing ourselves to make sure that whenever a child or parent trusts us with, with their child's care, that we're always meeting their needs as a whole person, mind, body, spirit, and with no wrong door. So wherever they come, we're being, we're prepared to support them and be our community's partner in health. So we lean in with the, with the school districts to then bring our expertise and partner with them to actually support the children where they're at. Uh, and, and that's gonna be a more meaningful way for us to go about this.
Perfect. That's really great to hear. And I definitely appreciate so much um, you going through this. And I know other healthcare organizations will really um, be able to use this model in, in thinking about how they can support their communities as well. Where do you see some of the biggest opportunity to make a difference in the future? Uh, what are you really targeting, I guess, for the next year or two? Yeah, I, I think there there's several things. I mean, first, um, so I'll break that into two parts. Where I see the opportunity, I mean, if we think about the future, uh, near term and longer term, um, I I do think one of the areas where we do need to double down is prevention, uh, primary prevention, uh, and and health promotion, and and I think that's an opportunity where we have you know as a country not done as well as we could have. Um, and so there are, you know, early elementary school, middle school, there's social emotional learning programs, there's something called a good behavior game that has excellent, excellent evidence to show that it has a huge impact on, on preventing mental illness, substance use among our children. And if you couple that with something called positive parenting program, these are prevention strategies that also support parents, uh, support, you know, the, the early development of our children. And I think these are, you know, there's an example, I think it was Netherlands that that took this on 25 odd years ago and, and promoted a good behavior game and positive parenting program across, you know, for free in, in, in all their schools, and had some stellar results, um, you know, two decades later, continued to have lower prevalence of mental illness and, and, and better outcomes. So I think there's lessons to be learned. And, and as far as where we are right now, I think a part of um, how we're approaching this is is really starting to move outside, break the silos, move outside of our health systems, go into the communities, build that trust and partnership with uh, the school districts, the teachers, the superintendents, the students, and now start uh, showing up for them uh, in a meaningful way. And, and doing this in parallel with uh, continuing to uh, improve our capacity uh, in our in our internal delivery system. So I think it's a both end, but that's what I see over the next year too. Uh, and I, I also feel like this is like I mentioned earlier with the Surgeon General's advisory. But there have been other things. I mean, the the federal government has um, has been, you know, has and through SAMHSA and others have you know, extraordinary resources, unprecedented. I've been in this field for over 18 years now, and I've never seen this level of attention and funding that's coming into this. So there are opportunities, uh, very uh, unique once in a lifetime opportunities to really build these coalitions and bring the care to our kids. And so I would see us really organizing ourselves around this. And, and we don't have to do any health system, any health system leader listening to this doesn't have to do this all by yourself. It's, it's, you know, it's, of course, there are places where you you might lean in, you might support, there are places where you might lead. But I do feel like we all have a role in this. And Laura, if I may, just moving a little bit away from just the very tactical things a health system would do, you know, I'll share personally, like, um, I, I can't think of a month that goes by, and I would say over the last 15 years or so, that I don't get a call from someone, either a friend, a colleague, um, you know, a, a uh, family member and what have you for getting some guidance and support to help navigate the complex system for their children. I mean, parents, there's, you know, there's nothing that makes parents feel more helpless than, than not being able to support their children when they need it. And, and I bring this up in the context of the health system, because I can tell you that 
I have, this is what has been a significant driver because the caregivers, the healthcare workforce, the doctors, nurses, they, many of them have children and many of them have seen this with their own children and have asked for help. And, and they have come forward to say, like, we want to prioritize this. We think this is, this is what we should be doing. And I think it's really that kind of a movement where, and, and that people are coming together to say, yes, there are multiple things that we need to do as a health system, but if there's an area or two that we really need to double down, I mean, it's clearly, you know, couple of things that rise in the mental health space. One is the mental health and well-being of our children and, and the mental health and well-being of the healthcare workforce. Got it. I think that's great to hear. And I, I love that. Um, I know you're mentioning um, mental health of the workforce too. Is there anything you do to support the um, your, your team as they're trying to work and in, in, um, really deal with some of these very, very challenging issues with the youth today? Absolutely. I mean, so this is... Uh, this has been a, a very, very major part of our um, focus over the last few years. Uh, we have been working very hard to make sure uh, that we have two things for the wealth care. So we have 120,000 employees uh, and then about, you know, with their dependents and their children, it's about 250,000. So the first thing we needed to make sure we were doing is if any one of our caregivers uh, uh, for themselves or for their children need support for mental health services and whatever it might be, it could be therapy, could be, you know, self-help, could be digital tools, that we have seamless access to that based on their needs and preferences. And so that was something that we had worked on and continue to iterate and has been extraordinarily successful so that anyone raises their hand, they have support. And then also we recognize that there are many who might be suffering in silence. So we created an, a, pro, a program that's more proactive that we lean in to support our caregivers. And so there's a lot more in that um, that I can share. Um, and, and some of our work you know, has been recognized by the Catholic Health Association, the American Hospital Association. Uh, you know, we were featured this was featured in Harvard Business Review as a model uh, that could be followed. And we're very proud and we think we're just getting started. I think there's so much more that needs to happen in this space. Um, but yeah, no, thanks for, for, for asking that question because um, you know, I think that's a very, very important area in addition to, to, the, uh, to focusing on the youth in our communities. Absolutely. And I appreciate those uh, ideas and in very practical ways that you can be supportive um, of people as they're working through some of these very challenging cases. Now, before we wrap up our conversation, I just have one more question for you. How can hospitals better reach young people who need help in their communities? I can imagine there are a lot of uh, youth out there who aren't really sure um, how to access help or who may not or think they may not need or want help. And, and just having those services available, I can imagine, um, you know, really can make a difference for some who are in very challenging situations. I, I love that question, Laura. And I think there are a couple of things. I, I do want to, I think there, I would like to, uh, to talk about something that we've been doing to approach this. Like, how do we connect with the children in the schools in our community. So there's one thing to offer services to build all this, but we we we're we're pushing ourselves to do better. And and one of the things that we've just started is a, a somewhat unique partnership. So Providence has partnered with the Seattle Sounders football club, um, and and uh, there are a lot of children and 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 one of the school districts over here, the Renton School District, and and this is a very unique partnership where we have all come together with the, with a common 
common objective to promote youth mental health, connect with our children, support them. And we're all bringing our skill sets together. What's been beautiful is the partnership with the, with the athletes. So, you know, as we've learned in meeting with the schools, everyone speaks soccer. So we see the kids uh, in, in the school district really connect with the athletes. And the athletes came out, we did an event, and we started, um, started, they started then sharing and talking about mental health and normalizing it. Now, that was very, very, very impactful, because that almost started giving people permission, uh, children to normalize, you know, that, that you know, when I, it's okay for me to not be okay sometimes. And, and then we couple that with connecting them with resources and support. And we're just getting started with this partnership, but it's, it's one of those areas that I think every health system in every community should be thinking about because we can't do this by ourselves. And, and I will say that this has been one of the more fun projects that I've been involved in. And there's like all things, it's all the way from creating safe spaces, you know, mini soccer pitches in middle schools, you know, and stuff that the Sounders team can do and do really well, and then coupling that with our Work to Be Well program and other partnerships with federally qualified healthcare agencies kind of really brings a, um, a comprehensive approach. And, and, and that's what really connects well with the children. That's amazing to hear. I love that. And speaking of the, as a mother of a uh, six-year-old who has a partnership with the local Chicago, or Chicago soccer team here, Chicago Fire, I, I know is so helpful and um, so interesting for the kids. Um, really to make a difference. And I'm glad that mental health was part of those conversations um, with those athletes um, in Seattle. So Arvon, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fun conversation and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Absolutely, Laura. Thank you so much for your time and uh, hope your, your, your six-year-old has a fun soccer game. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> he loves it. <laughs> Take care. Be well.